Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 318, and today we'll be talking about the first episode of Glitch Text, Age of Hanobi. I'm GC13. And I'm David. That was my glitch. Because we're talking Glitch Text. Wow, there's so much to say. This was a 44-minute, you know, animated extravaganza, and I liked many parts of it. And, since we were going to be talking about glitch text, Discord, of course, had to glitch out on us. Yes, good old, good old Reliable Skype is there for us, and uh, it's giving me nice compressed audio that uh, really puts me in the mood for thinking about, thinking about glitches, games and glitches. Good old 8-bit glitch game times. So, let's get this out of the way first. Just I, a disclaimer for the rest of the episode. If I talk about Miko too much, it's because I like Miko the most. Of all well, the other Miko characters, Miko is an amazing character. <laughs> she's just the number one. So if I end up sounding too fanboy at any point, I just want to make the disclaimer early. That is the highlight for me. And also, I'm just going to go ahead and blame it on Splatoon because I freaking love Splatoon. And Miko's hair just reminds me of the Inklings in that game. And I think that's really the source of source of it. I mean, well, I will say this. Uh, she and High Five are like the co-protagonists, but I, I think she's the mainer character. I think that's pretty clear. She has a lot more going for her in this first episode as far as characterization goes. But um, thinking about her design, kind of, I feel like one of the most prominent features of this show is its style. So I kind of wanted to start there talking about just how this thing looks, which I kind of went went and dug a little, you know, trying to see where the creators came from, what their background was. And uh, Eric Robles, Robles? Who is not a very? I assumed it was Robles. Yeah, not not very like prominent on it seems social media channels or anything. Doesn't even have his own Wikipedia page, but he does have an IMDb page. And the two shows that he's worked on in the in the animation department immediately, I, I was I was like, of course, that's exactly <laughs> exactly what I expected seeing uh, Glitch Text, and that was Fanboy and Chum Chum and the X's, both Nickelodeon shows, and both. Very visually distinct, distinct from each other, and very memorable. I mean, the X's is more that there, there's you know, it sort of has. It's not Samurai Jack, but it's that borderless 2D animation. Doesn't have the nice thick or thin black lines, which makes it look a little more like paper cutout or something. But that show was ultra distinct in the way it did action scenes and just generally somewhat somewhere. It's like maybe maybe a lineless. My life as a teenage robot mixed with I, I don't even know mixed with other <laughs> other other influences, but fanboy and chum chum is really where I connected because of just the proportionality, right? The just crazy, constant, sugary, hyper action <laughs> things moving all the time, maybe dizzying. That's not even the best part of fanboy and chum chum that has made its way into glitch text did you notice the frosty mart in the background at that strip mall that they're at um i don't think i specifically noticed that is that a complete i mean that was a big feature of fanboy and chum chum did that get carried over uh, we don't actually go to the frosty mart in any of the 19 episodes that we have but the frosty freezy freeze is specifically mentioned so more than a passing reference to past work but yeah, Fanboy and Chum Chum, everything about how active that show is, is here. The, just everything is so dynamic all the time. And in almost a sort of Invader Zim-like way, the cinematography of the show 
is always choosing the most unique angle to take the shot from. Nothing stays still. I I, I contrast it to the more traditional, like even (laughs) it's funny to call regular show or Steven Universe traditional, but they both feature a lot more almost sitcom-y type filming where the camera is just very standard sometimes and you get very standard, you know, I forget the correct term, but where you get over-the-shoulder shots and then just back and forth between characters and dialogue. This is not that type of show. It is just constantly moving and bouncing around, not as nauseatingly as Fanboy and Chum Chum, <laughs> thankfully. I mean, overall, did you did you enjoy this, this first outing in Glitch Techs? I will say that the length of the episode has positives and negatives to it. I think for the concept of the show, it was helpful to spend this long with a continuous story setting up the characters. It did make me think, you know, is was this the right place to start this story or not? And, and I think it is because you get a lot of the moral quandary of mind erasure. It, that, that kind of needs some setup. And I like the iterations of it where we first just see it as maybe a force for good, you know, ish where okay we're dealing with problems that the citizens don't need to know about so you know erase their minds and then we see that that's obviously moves from morally gray to just morally bad because our protagonists get mind wiped and that's always a bad thing except one of our protagonists doesn't get mind wiped and that's a mystery thing which is is a good little mystery to set up and then you know we we almost have a almost villainous turn at the end of our protagonists which is kind of i don't know it, it it was strange to see hector actually be a little too excited about getting getting to to erase his rival's mind which you know i don't know it's a little intense but so you know i i think the pacing was pretty good for the fact that it was so long because i'm used to mostly 11 minute cartoons and even 22 minute uh cartoons usually have to do a and b plots and there was only a plot right for 44 minutes we were not really bouncing between anything which is very hard to do and so i think that pace wise they did pretty good with keeping it going the whole time you know it's it's funny that you mentioned that i'm i'm thinking back on all of the glitch text episodes and they don't really do the a plot b plot thing like it's it's basically always just an a plot and i got to give them credit for that because that is pretty rare i mean all the 22 minute episodes uh cartoons that i think about do this you know famously I think a Phineas and Ferb is just the perfect example of it because they do ABC plots <laughs> in every episode and manage that for 22 minutes. But even, and I mostly think of Disney cartoons when I think of these because compared to Nick and Cartoon Network, they tend to be the ones always giving out 22 minutes of airtime for whatever reason. But, you know, Gravity Falls, always flip between two stories. That's just how you deal with time uh, in, in, <laughs> in longer amounts of time, which I don't know if that's specifically... It feels almost like cartoons do it more frequently than regular TV shows. Like maybe sitcoms are always flipping between multiple stories. But when I think of other traditional TV shows, I don't know. I feel like if you get 22 minutes or even 44 minutes, sometimes you're just focusing on a single storyline. Glitch text is more, I don't know, deviating from the animation norm. And in that respect, actually following other shows sometimes. I don't know. I'd have to think about (laughs) what's more common. I remembered I was watching Babylon 5 after already very familiar with Steven Universe and its 11 minute, you know, every minute has to count format. And they, I, I did notice that Babylon 5 felt much freer to follow subplots and just have 
conversations that they would have to cut for time in Steven Universe, because Babylon 5 is a 44-minute series. Yeah, you get more time to be meandering the more time you have. But even 11-minute cartoons can mix it up, though. Now, Steven Universe had rules that restricted it from being able to meander, but, you know, look at a show like Adventure Time, where 11 minutes doesn't have to focus on Finn or Jake, and you can see that the (laughs) format still works to give you a super expansive universe with lots of different stories. So, you know, time doesn't have to matter. But um, it's surprising that a show that's as energetic as this, you know, maybe it needs that extra time because it can it can move fast and there's just so much going on. It might it might have felt a little too dizzying to have multiple plots going on. Like there's enough going on that it can sustain you. But I, I think one of the, the major holdbacks for me in this first episode that made me enjoy it less is that computer animation is totally great. But when it sticks out in negative ways, it, it sticks out in negative ways. Uh, there are there are some scenes, just a few, where the animation is noticeably janky. And I'm like not sure if the low visual frame rate or apparent frame rate, I should say, is intentional or, or what. But yeah, sometimes they're moving like very jagged. Well, uh, so, so I will speak. say on the on the frame rate that... Some of that feels intentional and trying to emulate what you get in traditional hand-drawn animation, where that's typically somewhere around like 12 to 14 frames a second. And when you're watching Rick and Morty, it usually doesn't go that low unless they're really trying to do a stylized thing. And in this episode, there were scenes like when we're getting introduced to the video game championship hall outside and we see some dude serving in a food truck. For some reason, that's animated like seemingly with very sparse frames. But it's not like an action scene. And normally you would do sparse, you know, more spread out frames when you're trying to show really fast movement or give weight or gravity to a punch or arm movement or whatever. So it just felt out of place (laughs) in some places. But also, I I just the uniformity of digital models. Oh, I I just uh, personally for me, I don't enjoy them as much like when I see characters and their shirts are just perfectly shaped and they have perfect little angles on their sleeves and when they move their arms all of those perfect angles perfectly stay the same as they get translated in space across the screen i'm just so used to seeing animation that is so unnoticeably imperfect in minor ways that that's what feels more natural so you know maybe if a whole generation grew up on computer animated things they would hate how hand-drawn <laughs> hand animated stuff looks but for me it's it's just the opposite so that throws me off, but the, but the character design is so fun and, again, Miko. <laughs> Mainly Miko. But everything, I like, I like, this, I like the choice to have the um, sort of fang teeth or even reverse fang teeth in the case of Hector. There's just a lot of variety in the characters. Now, I can't remember. Do they actually refer to him as Hector in this episode? Because, like, everyone calls him Five. Right, I mean, yeah. Just, we could just call him High Five or Five. I mean, Miko, for her, it's also her gamer tag, so... No, her gamer tag is Miko. Well, But uh, for, yes. for Hector, everyone calls him Five. His grandparents call him Five for crying out loud. Maybe I should call him Five. You probably should. Everyone else does. I definitely always... I'm terrible with names. Like, I watched all of Twin Peaks for three seasons, and I only came out knowing, like, Agent Cooper's name, because I just, names do not stick for me, which only in Steven Mm. Universe did they, because gem names are just words we already know. 
<laughs> I always write down names ahead of time. There is something that I noticed for the first time with my analytical hat on, as uh, always happens when I watch an episode to discuss it. I noticed something new for the first time, and I want to know, did you notice that after Five makes the winning shot and the crowd goes wild uh, at the tournament and they cut to his grandparents watching the tournament on TV or on Twitch or Twooch or whatever it's called, <laughs> and his grandfather says, way to go, Miko. And I I never noticed that. I did not notice that either. That is a total goof. Good, 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 good goof uh, awareness. Well, no, that's not a goof. Miko was the official winner of the tournament, and I thought that that's something they had to figure out later, but it's like, no, they're like, Miko wins is would have been what popped up on the, on the screen right there. That's why they were cheering for Miko. Hmm. Yeah, but why would they be cheering for Miko? Because she was allied to their grandson. Yeah, but how well, I mean, I know they're big gamers, but the, did they know the current scene that well? Well, they had, Five and Miko had never hung out. They, you know, they had played competitive games against each other and she beat him every single time. But I'm, I'm pretty sure the, I'm pretty sure their alliance against Mitch Williams would have been a storyline that the announcers were harping on big time as soon as it happened. Yeah, I mean, that's believable. At minimum, it just further gives us characterization on Five's grandparents as hyper aware of of gaming. Yeah, anyone who was watching Five obsessively like, you know, his his grandparents would have noticed that they were they were allied with each other. So, one way or another, they they were happy that at least Dingleberry did not win. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so talked a lot about animation. So talking about I guess the general story or or the characters, uh I I like Five's grandparents, I thought that the parents of Miko were... What is their problem? <laughs> they're, they're interesting. I, color-wise, I, the fact that all the, all the women of the household just are like gray in a, you know, maybe gloomy way or something. And then her father is just this, almost doesn't even feel in place in the show, just like super bright green sweater vest, the classic cartoon dad green sweater vest. And just, he has just, he's just so bright in appearance, just like literally they took the brightness slider up on him and Miko and just down on everyone else. I, <laughs> it's a, it's a choice. Yeah, her parents don't get gaming at all though. Ooh. Yeah. And they don't, they don't get gaming. I don't know who Miko's sister is, but I am excited to see more of her. I enjoyed yes. how those two interacted. The parents are just like, yep, classic parents who don't get me parents. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if they're really, like, bad people yet or not. You know, I've seen so many bad parents in cartoons from Cartoon Network. I don't know, is Nick is Nick the network that likes good parents more? I, I don't know where these parents are yet. They're, they're happy she got a job, you know. I do love the way her brother perks up. A job? Like, how old is she, though? I mean, teenagers? 16. Okay, so, I mean, it's good for your teenagers to get jobs, but, you know. Most teenagers, if their parents are super on to them about their, you know, career and life goals, they're just prepping them for college, right? You don't really need a job for college. So I don't, I guess they just want something for her to do that gets her out of gaming all the time. Yeah, have her, send her to work at the game store. That'll help. Right. I mean, I don't see how working at the game store is really the best thing. If you're, you know, achiever parents, you'd rather your kid be, you know, taking more AP classes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Well, Miko's homeschooled, so. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, she has, like, severe ADHD problems, apparently. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, 
Yeah, sure. Except I don't know how she's getting school done because that doesn't seem like a thing she uh, is focused on for this 44 minutes anyway. Oh, not the not the tiniest bit. <laughs> so let's see here. What what fun stuff do we discuss about this episode? I, of course, uh, as a fan of all cats, am partial to Chomp Kitty. I really, I hate that I'm just saying I like the design of every character, but I did like the design of Glitch Kitty. I like that the arcade monsters in general were a little more evil looking. They they weren't as, um, it showed the just variety that, that can take place in this show. And they almost had a more Gravity Falls feel where they kind of fell a little more on the like genuinely evil side, less so the cat. Um, <laughs> but I... Just liked the um, battle that took place. I didn't really like the power-up that got used. I felt like it wasn't oh, the clever pizza. enough. Like, okay, so power-ups make the cat bigger. And then can power-ups effects be reversed in Bit? Who, yeah. actually, my second favorite character of this episode, Bit. Absolutely. Yes, Bit's a sweetheart. Bit just confirms, oh yes, power-ups can reverse effects as well. And then he just shoots what is apparently anti-pizza, but looks exactly like the other pizza. And the cat explodes. So okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if all of the um, you know glitch defeats are just not supposed to be um, in intellectual battles. Maybe they maybe they don't need to be. It didn't feel like a particularly gamey solve, but sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, I think I think you like uh, I, th- I think you like some of the upcoming glitch fights better. Uh, if that was your complaint, well, I I think in general it's really hard to deal in the realm of gaming culture when it comes to writing a show and so i think that definitely there were highs and lows here where i loved the gamer talk throughout the episode and you know they're they're pulling out all their vocab you know oh man quit griefing me and stuff, <laughs> stuff like that and i'm like okay okay these guys know this he rage stuff. quit on us right right and you know it, it it i think it avoids being cringy it I, I watched the movie Juno recently, and I just forgot the main writer's name for that. But there's a there's a certain type of speech that you can have that is purposefully, you know, it's not natural dialogue, but it's still super entertaining and funny, and it really relies on using, you know, some specific cultural words. And so I, I think the dialogue sounds really good, but um, then a lot of the gaming <laughs> references feel like ultra general, like they're in this world that is vr and super advanced but they're still really old arcades and the arcade games don't hark to anything in our world particularly but i also i think it's a good choice to not always just be referential so i'm glad they're doing their own thing and it's not just oh that looks like castlevania that looks like (laughs) mario but i i definitely need to see more castlevania comes later don't (laughs) you worry oh i mentioned castlevania specifically because i (laughs) Every everything that is an animated show that does video game references ends up referencing Castlevania. Don't you worry. This will not break that streak. No, I I wouldn't doubt it. But yeah, this this opening episode really avoids any anything specific besides general modern, you know, gaming culture as far as, you know, live streaming, VR, but the the games aren't really specific and even the um the the format, the fact that the competition apparently isn't a game that they're playing all the time, but they're just generally invited to play in what could be a mystery game or a new game for them. I don't is that the feeling you got with the competition? They said it was called Hinobi Smash. Now the map was new, but I do think it is an extant game. Like Miko had the gear for it all ready to go. See, I thought that the 
name, Hinobi Smash, was actually the name of the competition, though, and not the game mm. they were playing. I don't know. It was unclear to me. I mean, there were there were a lot of people, a lot of people there. I, I don't know how they knew that five was going to be coming in, because it seemed that only a very few people came in. Most people were connecting remotely. I just remembered what this was reminding me of, and it is Spy Kids 3. which which is uh also over (laughs) yep spy kids 3 game over which features also kids playing in a in a vr game except that it's a competition of games that previously didn't exist in their world and they're just now playing the game for the first time which is just not what we do in our world big difference but uh yeah i I love Miko. That's like the most I mean, in the show. You I want to see mo- everyone else. I want to see more out of five. Like they they set up this duo in this episode, but I'm not feeling a ton of the partnership yet. I'm like, hey Miko, you're super interesting. Why do you like five? <laughs> like, do you guys just happen to be in the same situations together because you're super interesting? But I mean, this guy, you know, he could he he's he could work his way up. But he's just kind of, you know, your general, not self-confident character who, you know, maybe it hits too close to home. Maybe I'm feeling too represented here. Oh, he he develops the the self-confidence pretty quick. Well, yeah, by the time he ends up, you know, threatening to, you know, in this show's version of of murder, you know, mind wipe. (laughs) Like I said, though, I I feel like Miko is the mainer character. I, I feel like she is a level above five as far as being the protagonist is concerned. I mean, the you'll see at the at the end of the second episode when we get to that one that there are even plot reasons for them to care more about her. Well, again, she has the central. I'm not going to say central mystery. The only mystery so far introduced is why Miko isn't affected by mind wiping. And yes. besides the whole mystery of why they there's even a video game company that has all this mind wiping and teleportation technology, and why all these glitches are getting out of hand. You know what's even causing those? That's of course a mystery. But how Miko could be at the center of it is is its own thing, which I'm glad it only it doesn't get any more focus than just the utility of it for her to remember and carry the plot forward there. And then later for Mitch to be surprised by it. You know, there's not any moments of like Miko doesn't just talk about it and think about it for a while and she doesn't really talk about it a long time. Except she does freak out about it and consider herself the possible chosen one savior, which I thought was fantastic. And now she, thanks to her lack of ability to be memory wiped, she now owes Lexi a month of chores and two accessories for, what was it, Mermaid Mindy? Yeah, so is this going to be like Steven Universe where when he gets grounded from watching TV for 100 years, it actually carries out? Like, is she really going to have to? That's not just a detail we'll later see her sister Um, having those things? I can't remember she has some pretty cool accessories for her mermaid doll so i'm not sure i'm not sure how we would recognize whether she got a new one or not Hmm. fair fair i mean she she apparently likes that doll so uh do we have any any further thoughts on the first episode of glitch text because I'll, i'll say this i like the episode but like i like the episodes that come after it even more because i feel like this is a it it touches on story threads or you know plot types that don't really happen in subsequent episodes like the whole thread of being memory wiped like that really that doesn't carry forward nope there 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 is never any such dire threat as that well i mean kind of 
But they don't drop yeah. the concept, right? Because that seemed like a central concept. Oh, no. They they memory wipe people as part of their duties. But it's it's always a thing they do to people for whom it doesn't matter. It's never like, oh, I'm you're, you're going to forget something important. Except kind of in the second episode. But like you have no belief that it'll actually happen. At Interesting. That point. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I guess they've already <laughs> explored... You know, some of the depths of the choice around mind wiping such that, you know, it doesn't really need to be repeated past this episode. I think they already, you know, took it to the, you know, they gave the protagonist the choice to do it or not. Right. And it's already we've already seen, you know, uh, Mitch be not quite remorseful, but I am surprised at how genuine he was. I I was expecting him to try to double cross them, but they never gave him the chance because he didn't come out with his gauntlet on his hand. I mean, he reluctantly admitted a mistake, but I still think that the the real villain is, you know, beyond him. You know, this whole scenario, I'm guessing they don't hit that hard on it in seasons one or two, but there definitely, it feels like there's this undercurrent happening of, oh, we're about to go on an adventure of fun, you know, battling glitches, leveling up, getting rewards thing. But meanwhile, you know, there's a dark underbelly to it (laughs) because... Oh, how is this? How is this company gamifying their giant mistakes that are threatening the world? You know, I'm assuming something interesting's got to happen there. Yeah, Hinobi is fascinating. This was the opening batch of 20 episodes. They they broke it up into two seasons, so they could have a uh, batch A, batch B. But this was this was all one season as far as production is concerned. So this was just all laying the groundwork for what is to come. Yeah, so pr- pretty good. I guess my main complaints were about animation more than it was about a story or characters although you know i'm definitely on board for miko need to see more of everyone else basically everyone else like mitch was the second most personality and and bit was just fun to have on the screen but i mean it's a robot so well you know (laughs) i'm assuming that character only goes so far besides just being kind of entertaining to see but yeah i'm i'm definitely on board to keep going through season one and uh every time i'm Try starting a new show, though. It's in question as to whether that show will get finished. Yeah, I know. I mean, Netflix can be afraid of money all at once, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't know how these shows deal with in in, in the context of Nick shows being produced on TV. I'm thinking, oh, kids are getting exposed to constant advertisements for toys and stuff. And somehow the push for merchandising shows feels easier when you're on a, on a, on a platform that shows ads. <laughs> Whereas on Netflix, the kids watch the shows and then, you know, then they got to make sure that they see the toy ads in the mobile games they play or something else. I, you know, or if it's not merchandisable, uh, how, how do they determine whether to pick shows up or not? It does feel like Netflix is famous for canceling shows because the truth of its business is it just needs you to pay for the subscription every month. You know, how much does it really need to invest in every individual show getting completed? Oh, well, I'm still getting my Hilda season two by the end of this year. And uh, maybe glitch text will keep going, but Uh, we can only hope. Anyway, guys, that's been us on age of Hanobi. Join us next week. Until then I'm GC one three. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review on any platform that you listen to podcasts on later everybody our opening and closing music is by mark soto for more cartoon related content please visit lunarceasefire.com